Hello, welcome to the Wireless Watch podcast, where our analysts talk about the technology behind this week's wireless news. I'm CEO Peter White. Um, I've got with me the editor, uh, Philip Hunter. Hello. Right. Uh, Open Ren analyst, Luke Braun. Braun. Hello. And product manager, John Constant. Good morning. All this discussion uh, comes from stories we released on the uh, Wireless Watch website last night, uh, our weekly analysis, which you can sign up for at uh, www.rethinkresearch.biz uh, and then click on wireless. Um, uh, just a little reminder, we, uh, there's not going to be an issue next week, so there won't be a podcast next week um, because we're taking a brief break. On this week's podcast, we're going to hear about the EU and how it wants to take control of 5G patents. That'll be interesting. Um, we also see one of the largest satellite mergers uh, proposed uh, between Intel, SAT and SES, uh, and see if we think that's going to be pulled off. And we take another look at uh, high-altitude platform systems, which potentially one day may fill a gap between satellite and terrestrial networks. And John will ask us about one or two of the shorter items. So we're going to start... Uh, by asking Phil uh, what exactly um, has happened with the uh, EU and patents this week. Well, um, thank you, Peter. Yes, it's been a um, long-running saga, which um, <laughs> goes, goes back 30 years. And um, certainly um, it, it sort of came to a head about 11 years ago when um, the UK was still um, part of the EU. And, uh, and there was a rather nice irony there that um, there, was, um, there was an announcement that the EU was close to arranging a common patent procedure whereby any sort of um, intellectual property holder could apply for a patent, in, um, an EU patent that would um, apply across all member states. And the UK then, um, under David Cameron, the Prime Minister, um, objected that it would give the European Court of Justice too much um, of a role in um, setting patents. And ironically, um, the latest scheme that's sort of just been announced by the EU has actually sort of um, rather sort of curtailed the role of the European Court of Justice. So the UK has been quite happy about it. And um, one of the objections is that. Um, the um, EU already has quite a lot of instruments for setting patents, and that um, the way the, the way patents work is sort of okay. And that um, although so the way patents work in Europe at the moment is is there there's separate national patent law for everybody, and, oh, yes. and it's written in their oh, yes. language. And the um, the Central European Patents Office is more or less um, redundant. Um, but people have been trying to make it a single process, um, and yeah. language is the issue, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like, no, yeah. But I mean, the main objection was, well, one one of the main objections from the EU was that the cost of translating patents into um, not obviously not thirty five languages, but sort of certainly about eight or ten languages were sort of considerable. And that um, the last effort was going to standardise on German, French, and English, but um, that, yeah. that's no longer the case. But um, those costs have come down because, because of machine translate, translation has played a role and the cost of translation has come down a lot. And the, and the very latest um, 
And the very latest proposal is to have the patent solely in three languages anyway, that's English, French, and German. And um, there, have been, there, have, there have been objections to that from the Spanish and the Italians. So that sort of was a bit of a... So, so what's the upshot to... to, to, to um, I mean, these are supposed to be uh, standard essential patents, and therefore they need to be covered under uh, a FRAND agreement. Um, uh, fair and reasonable and non-discriminatory terms. How much money are we talking about um, in terms of pa uh, patents paid across something like 5G uh, across Europe? I don't know the uh, I don't know the answer to that exactly, but um, it's certainly quite a large amount of money because um, although the patents um, well, I mean, they come under the heading of standard essential patents, which are essentially um, granted by some standards body setting, they call it a standard setting organization. But for 5G, there's a lot of um, such essential patents, not just one, there's dozens of them. So when you add up all those costs, it is quite a large amount of money. Who, who are the big patent holders uh, in 5G? Are the same as the ones that were in 4G and 3G? Or as well, yes, it has really changed. Like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a big, some of the big vendors, Ericsson, Nokia. I seem oh, to wow. remember AT&T have a, a little stash AT in there. AT&T has some. Qualcomm. And a few of the major operators. Yeah. Qualcomm, of course, has quite a lot. Okay. I, 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 I find this all a bit strange because it's really about controlling the um, technology which goes into 5G. It's, not, it's really about uh, vendors just um, ignoring the simplicity that uh, operators would like to have and just um, uh, elbowing each other for a bit of room so that they can have more say about which technologies are adopted as um, standard essential patents. And, th and, then, exactly. and, and then they feel that they've got a head start on everybody else. But I mean, it is, it is mostly a vendor issue, and it's mostly something that I think operators would like to see just evaporate and be very clear on. Um, well, yes, yeah. I mean, this is a vendor issue, but of course it affects operators in terms of costs and sort of standardization. I mean, um, the, the latest European proposal will probably set Europe back a bit because it's going to make it a, a less attractive place for standard development. I mean, if you think about it, Europe's actually always been quite a leader in standards when you think of organizations like Etsy and in broadcasting, DBB, their standards are adopted more widely than just in Europe. And um, so in a sense, the, the, um, by sort of it, uh, these proposals will make it sort of perhaps easier, could make it easier for operators, but they won't make it so attractive for vendors sort of um, to come and sort of develop standards because it will <clears throat> increase increase their costs. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's always cost a lot to have a seat at this table to be even taken seriously. Um, you, you have to have a, a market share. Um, I think it's a, um, a bit of a curse of the of the development of 5G. I first heard of 5G, I think, in something like 2007. Might have, well before. Might have been <clears> earlier. 4G was actually starting to implement. <laughs> yes. And, yeah. and I, it's been a, a long road. And even now, I'm not abundantly clear on every technology that it actually includes. Um, in, well, they're, in, coming, they're coming along in waves. You know, in 5G as it started. I mean, then we've got, we've got standalone. And then we've got... Um, 5G advance bringing new capabilities. Yeah, I think, and the talk of 6G is really just um, 
the next step of 5G. So you know, people like to have a new G every seven, 10 years. Yeah, well, I think um, we estimated that it takes something like 23 years from the first inception of, of the idea of 5G to it's it finally being fully rolled out. Um, it, it does seem a, a hell of a long time between uh, between each uh, iteration, each G, as you yeah, call it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not a big bang, it's sort of a rollout in stages. Okay. Uh, so, what do we expect? Uh, is this is this, uh, uh, is there any element of control uh, for Europe that EU is going to exert here? Or is well, this, this I, 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 I mean, it, it, it looks like it's happening. Um, uh, the determination to make it happen, but um, I, I, I mean, as you say, the implications for operators are sort of pretty sort of um, small initially. But it's sort of it's one of these issues that they probably want to be watching. To see how it unfolds and, and, and what the impact it has on areas, particularly open RAM, when there's a, an area that could well become bogged down in patients over the years. So that's probably more. Yes, well, most of the open RAM providers don't don't have much say in the patents, and that's that's going to be a bit well, of a right. problem. Yeah. 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 I mean, Phil, the question I've got for you is: um, you, you mentioned in the article the Geoff Wild. Uh, has been quite public in his criticism. He has. Uh, he has yeah. There's quite a few other uh, analysts or specialists or experts in this field have been quite critical. Why do you think they've moved, spent the last three years reflecting this, and then moved from the UPC onto the um, the oversight role of the EU IPO? I don't know. Uh, I mean, I mean, UPC seemed to be what they were focusing on. I mean, I mean, it's these changes that have, have attracted, as you say, have attracted the criticisms of the um, of, of the various sort of intellectual property experts, and um, which they think sows confusion and, and also will impose costs on the industry. Um, I, th I think they sort of um, originally the EU sort of um, decided that it, it, it wanted to have a sort of um, greater control over the patent process and that this new body and also of course they thought that this that means it's not actually a new body it's an existing body that's been, been responsible for trademarks for years which they think is therefore well placed to actually I mean, uh, take on the new role without having to create a new uh, uh, but, uh, you know you've got a load of experts in trademark law you, you haven't got anything else in there well how, how are they supposed to referee disputes well, I mean, presumably their intention is to actually start either training people up or recruiting new experts in. But I mean, it takes time for this to happen. It seems a rather odd development. I so how, how solidified... You know, trademark law has got nothing to, much to do with it. How, how solidified is this? Is this not... Is this just a kind of exercise in incompetence from them? Um, or are they going to... Are they provoking to, to, to get the vendors to, to compromise on, on, on issues, maybe. Surely they couldn't have spent three years on this. Well, uh, yeah, but I, I mean, as I say, three, in some ways, it's been a lot more than three years. But this particular process has been three years. <laughs> and, and, uh, and they can have come up with something which um, obviously has surprised some of the um, patents industry, despite, or maybe because of the <laughs> deliberations they've been undergoing for these two years. Well, someone should talk, or, uh, incompetence. Someone should get an interview with this Joff Wild and see uh, exactly. Uh, uh, let's 
So let's move on to your story, Luke. I, I think you know the, the um, um, you, you've become. This is the second or third visit you've had to um, high altitude platform systems, HAPS, as they're called, and you you give them an alternative name, high altitude pseudo satellites. But uh, um, HAPS, either way, um, tell tell us what what you, you've been writing about that this week. Well, actually, before Luke starts, can I can I ask a question on this? I'm a new to HAPS. What is HAPS? They're basically just building um, base stations, but trying to have them... Um, initially, they wanted to have them fly, but obviously flying is difficult to... Um, you can't have a moving base station. Um, it's difficult to achieve. So they're really just trying to have floating or um, as stationary as possible, um, just playing somewhere 20 kilometers up in the stratosphere and just beam down um, whatever signal um, they want from there. So really that's the idea. The, pr- the principle of this is that um, by by uh, altering the height, um, the altitude, you can get one trade wind blowing you one way and one trade wind blowing you back the other way, uh, and you can get into a sequence where you're virtually stationary um, for a long period of time. That, that's what early experiments have, have been based on, um, and it's that's a pretty well established science. You know, to put things in the air which don't stay still, but don't move too far. And, yes, um, and there are various technologies for doing it. And, essentially, and the radio distances only, you know, you're only talking a few miles extra, so the radios are, are overly affected by it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, for, for this week, then, we had, um, took a look at two, um, two HAP specialists, one of them quite prominent um, in the space. They're funded by um, Rakuten, uh, not Rakuten, um, SoftBank uh, Corporation, not the group. Um, so they they were launched as as um, after I think the um, the 2011 um, Japan earthquake and tsunami. Um, they were launched kind of with with that in mind because they 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 struggled to provide um, connectivity elsewhere uh, during the, throughout the country after that uh, after disaster. Um, now that Habs Mobile. Um, Mm, they they were at the forefront of the industry, but now they've fallen a bit behind. They founded um, the HAPS Alliance together with Google's Loon project. Um, back in the day, of course, uh, Loon folded since then, and they took 125 million of uh, of uh, SoftBank's and uh, HAPS Mobile's money with them um, when they did. Um, yeah, have small, but the thing is, it's difficult with them. Obviously, they they're not even they're nowhere near um, commercial readiness. They don't anticipate anything before um, the end of twenty twenty seven, and really, there's very little concrete um, that they've revealed or um, in public or to me. Um, there's no roadmaps really on technology, what technologies are being developed. They're just looking at everything, um, so they're not really interesting in that sense. Um, Perhaps a mention of the design. Um, there are f- there's there's basically two types of designs: heavier and lighter than air. And they are a heavier than air um, design. So basically, they have a 78 wingspan glider, um, just strapped uh, with solar cells all over, um, and they just want to keep that operational for months at a time in in the air. Um, How do they control that? Uh, base stations. I mean, they they have. No, a, but I mean. You, you, you've got to understand something about the current weather to know 
how to fly it, where to fly it, how to keep it up. Um, I mean, it must all be fed up from the ground. Well, the um, weather won't be an issue. Um, they're mostly above. No the yeah, they're mostly no, they're above, above weather, weather patterns. Yeah. yeah, so that's. Um, yeah, I, I don't even. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, um, then we we can. Sky is a much more interesting um, example of a Haps company, I think. Um, since essentially, because because all these the fixed wing designs all suffer from the same issue that they can't really stay stationary. They have to be circling. They have to be. Um, at least um, moving in a in a within the, their their fixed position. Um, Sky, on the other hand, is an airship design. It's a material science company, um, basically founded around um, their fabric, the the skin of the airship, which supposedly is super light, super resistant, super durable, and uh, super gas tight. Um, if that's true or not, they'll probably um, we'll probably see. But I think it's 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 reasonably interesting because they pursue um, more of a platform um, centric uh, approach. So where Haps Mobile is really a child of SoftBank and um, focus on connectivity for Japan, and then after Japan, um, wherever SoftBank wants them to expand, probably neck closer to the equator because that's where the um, solar cells are are really. That's the only region the solar cells are or solar cell kind of driven approach is viable. So Sky is focused on the platform. Um, they plan commercial launch by the end of 2023, but for Earth observation missions, they say there's lots of low-hanging, highly lucrative um, deals with government agencies in the US um, to monitor um, greenhouse gas emissions in um, Texas and Oklahoma and um, oil and gas fields. Um, so they're trying to snag up those but, contracts. But surely greenhouse Greenhouse gas emissions have gone to, to satellites at the moment. Well, do you think I mean, they, they can they, beat them out? Okay. I mean, they, they, they are closer to the, considerably closer to the ground. And um, it, it is only by using filters that they effectively can see greenhouse gases. And so it is just a camera uh, uh, setup. And it's not really heavy. So, yeah, I mean, they're putting up individual satellites now that are all active in that. It's a matter of how much um, you, you can, how much area of the Earth you can cover with one satellite. Well, the satellites can cover more, but they're less accurate. So you're right; uh, there is some money to be made there. And they I mean, are... When you said near the, they're only viable near the equator. How near? I mean, would they? They're okay for middle latitudes like Japan. Yeah, well, they're loath to say. Um, they both said, um, Skynaps Mobile, that really they're looking for, for efficient deployments where they can stay up long, where the antenna can operate properly. Um, they would prefer near equatorial regions. But of course, you have the issue of, um, well, it's not the same ARPUs as in Japan or as uh, as as the US. So as you move closer to the equator and your HAPS platform performs better or more uh, effectively, um, you also lose, or lose lots of... Um, lots of your revenue really so it's uh it's a bit of a uh, a double-edged sword i i, I guess um well not double-edged I mean, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter if they don't operate over the poles but yeah uh, yeah it would matter if they don't operate over middle latitudes where most people live yeah yeah but then again at the same time um those middle latitudes um they're not targeting europe um for example europe is is for the most part too densely populated and um 
too densely covered in 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 in, in fixed lines. So really, they've uh, I will I I think these developments are targeted at Southeast Asia. We have um, another HAPS company, um, Stratospheric Platforms, um, just got uh, just sold a stake to Indonesian um, tower company Protolindo. Um, we also have um, Stratospheric Platforms and um, Airbus's HAPS uh, business, um, Alto uh, HAPS. Um, both of those um, signed agreements with Saudi Arabian operators um, to provide coverage there. So, yeah, it's it's a difficult market, I feel, because obviously... And this collides with LEOs as well. So effectively, a, 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 a low-Earth orbit satellite that's only 500 miles from the Earth uh, is trying to provide similar services but um, from much further away. But, um, but there's a lot of deployment of LEOs right now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, in contrast, I guess, dude, you have less wasted coverage. You can kind of target your coverage quite quite precisely. Um, yes, as you would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a bit like IoT. You know, do, do we want to know where all our cattle are and how much are we prepared to pay from that for that? You know, rather than um, knowing where our children are, um, it's it's all that. How much is one prepared to pay? Uh, for this, so it, this is all about practice and driving down costs, uh, and, and and Leo seems to be really economically active right now, and having a, a business, having a business model that's viable, and perhaps that's because of companies like uh, SpaceX um, uh, that, that are driving that. But um, and the other, and Project Cuba, yeah. yeah. So so uh, it's, it's 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 all about yeah, you, you, yes, you can do this. Um, but floating things between 30,000 and 70,000 feet is, uh, may have some advantages, but some of the, it has some disadvantages because you're covering less of the ground. So it's about, is it economically viable? You, you're, you're saying none of these are going to come to fruition much before 2027, so we don't have to lose any sleep over it at the moment. Well, uh... so it's, one of the, it's one of the advantages, these flexibility, you can, you can put a HAPS... Um, up very quickly, where you can't uh, you can't get a constellation up. <laughs> so it would be good for providing coverage at short notice. Yeah, yeah, that's that's one advantage. Um, two of these, sorry, two of the examples, um, Sky from this um, piece and um, Airbus's Alto um, from the last piece. Both of those will be ready. Um, as I said, Sky by twenty twenty three, end of twenty twenty three, for Earth oh, observation, okay. then well, into twenty twenty four, probably towards the end. Then they they would have they would have said if it was earlier. Um, and their first network's going up where? Um, now in the US, um, just okay. just focus on Earth observation. But they also say there's a there's a big issue with regulatory. Um, just kind of, there's not much regulatory work done um, outside, so there's not they don't really know what what uh, certificate certificates they need to operate a HAPS platform um, in other parts of the world. So they say really the US is advanced in that. Um, but yeah, the the by the end of 2024, they'll probably stay in the US for a while, if I had to guess, unless something significantly changes. Uh, okay, and that's Sky, spelled S C E Y E. Yeah. So it's uh, uh, in case anybody's going at a search engine right now and can't find it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Um, so that those much sooner. So uh, we'll mm. we'll be seeing there. Uh, first trading uh, quarters um, 12 months from now. So that'll be interesting. Um, and I trust you to keep an eye on it. 
Always. Um, fine. So the, the last one um, that we were going to look at today is um, this potential merger between Intel Sat and SES, Phil. So I, I just, um, I, I mean, why, is, why has it come about that two of the largest satellite operators in the world feel uh, a need to merge? Um, is this a, a technology, you know, they're just getting old, their fleets, uh, are they needing a lots of money to replenish, or uh, is the satellite business getting tired? What, what's going on? Um, it's because although you describe them as two of the largest satellite players in the world, they're not actually massive companies compared to, you know, um, Amazon, for example, coming in, or, or, or Elon Musk on the LEO side. I mean, this story really sort of picks up from Luke's innovate because LEO is where the action is at the moment. And um, if you just wind back a bit, um, these there were, there were sort of a, around about six or seven global geo satellite companies, um, in, in, including Intelsat and um, and Viasat, which, um, which um, grew up or, or were sustained for years by sort of revenues from largely from DTH, um, director home TV pay TV services, and. Um, up until about 2012, they sort of enjoyed steady and sustained growth on the back of that. But if you look since 2012, um, nearly all of the uh, of these satellite companies, with the exception of Biosat, which has come up through acquisition, and and even Biosat was one, have actually flatlined, or their real-time revenues have all declined. And meanwhile, the LEO market has got going. We've had we've had sort of um, Project Keeper. And Starling, who are often cited as the two major factors that are leading to this consolidation in the among geo providers, and in, in actual fact, if Viaset and Intelsat's merger does go ahead, it would it will only follow some of the others, because we've already had um, we've already had Utilsat negotiating a 3.4 billion dollar merger with OneWeb of the UK, and. Um, and and, 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 and and also um, so 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 that is really, in a sense, driving SES and um, Intelsat together. To, uh, so it's to fight to remain up. relevant um, in in a, in a, a, a less geo-oriented world. Yeah, indeed. I mean, I mean, it's not, it's not just um, Starlink and Project Keeper. The Chinese are getting into it as well. We've had um, you know, we've had a, a number of de- developments there. I mean, the interesting thing about geos is that it, it's it's twenty one thousand miles from the Earth's. Yeah. Uh, you know, for, it's it's a long way for a signal to go. But if you develop a, a kind of hundred foot uh, unfurlable antenna, you can hear every mobile phone on the surface of the planet, or you can you can sense yeah, its radio, and, and so you can even have. Um, satellite phone deployments or, that actually use mobile phones and, and that's something that we see in the Middle East um, Thuraya sat I seem to remember uh, was the first of those so so there, it's, it's, it's an amazing technology but as you say you get satellites closer to Earth and um, we well, the big problem with GEO is that you know, it's, it's, it's great for one way um, <laughs> connectivity but as you say the two-way and the ground-based equipment is more expensive. Yeah, and um, the latency is higher. Yeah, so and, and things like broadband. Yeah, 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 it's it's always going to become expensive. And yeah, the DJH has declined. Video has increased. It's going increasingly over broadband. 
so you need interactive services. So that's partly why LEO has come up. And so these other these these legacy satellite companies like Intelsat and Viasat need to invest in LEO themselves, and that's the reasons for. <laughs> I mean, right now <laughs> there's, there's about seven thousand TV channels being shuttled around uh, through satellites in Europe. But you're absolutely right. Why can't you just send those over the internet? Um, well, that's what's happening over fibre, well. and that's what is what's happening, and the costs yeah. are coming down rapidly. Down. There, yeah. I mean, the thing about a, a satellite that's a geo is it's up for fifteen years, and you've got to uh, when it first goes up, it's 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 fit for purpose and it's ready to go, and it has the right kind of speeds uh, uh, on all of its connections, and then suddenly, ten years goes past, and the world's moved on, and the satellite's still in the sky, still trying to earn money. Um, yeah. and, you know, and, it, and it's 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 looking less and more and more dated. It's like watching nineteen seventy films all the time. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. So Wait, so just, so do do Intelsat and uh, SCS do they have any plans for Leo constellations themselves? Because I think I, I I saw the other day that um, Inmarsat's had a plan for Leo, but that is getting scrapped or is about to get scrapped, or at least they're quite hesitant on it now. Um, what's it looking like for Intelsat and SES? Well, Intelsat. So yeah, um, I think um, SES have um, have further advanced plans than Intelsat over at Radio. and um, but by putting the two together, they 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 believe they could sort of hatch a more co a more sort of coherent plan to actually compete in the area. But, uh, but you're right. I mean, they've, they've all been scratching around trying to sort of get into this at a time when Starlink and Kipper I and mean, the Chinese have three constellations already in the process of being established, and two they've applied to the ETU for spectrum for two more. So there's going to be a hell of a lot of early other satellites in the air within a few years. I, I mean, how long, how long before in a situation where um, you know one or two satellites start? Moving when they're not supposed to, and start bumping into one another, or start um, you know obliquing each other, or causing uh, all sorts of mayhem, or just falling to earth. I mean, uh, how it's it's in the tens of thousands, is it? The number of Leo. Yes, I mean there are there are sort of some procedures in place, but but you're right. I mean it's a matter of time before there is some incident involving a Leo satellites. I would suggest. Um, so the scene of um, a future uh, disaster movie, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, moving on, uh, John, just um, have you you read the issue? Um, any of the smaller items um, made you kind of step back or wonder what they are or uh, need explaining? Uh, well. I mean, there was a, a couple of points in there. Um, I see that China's published, or the GSMA has published its uh, uh, IoT connection figures uh, for China um, using MBIoT. And I was just surprised to see that um, the number of IoT connections has exceeded uh, the number of mobile connections. Is that genuinely true? Well, the number of people, in fact. <laughs> it's exceeded the number of people. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I think that that's unique to China, I believe. But um, certainly, um, <laughs> certainly, that's what the GSMA was saying. Um, but also tallies with with the Chinese operators. You now they 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 all had great. I think 
around 30% growth figures um, f- just in the in the for the full year 22 um, that they published mm-hmm. out. So it, it looks like, yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, yeah, these are mostly MBIOT, aren't they? they these are the, the yeah. short, the, the short form of in China. Data. Yes. And, and yeah, I mean, I mean, they, 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 they've grown very much for, for the cellular standard generally, whether it's for car and smaller. So how come? I mean, you were writing quite recently uh, from Mobile World Congress that that um, that the GSMA is coming up with an, yet another standard for. Uh, for IoT, um, we've got LTEM as well, and then uh, yeah, another one's going to be introduced because they're not all fit for all the roles that IoT, uh, and, and nobody is deploying them. But here we have China. What, what's the what's the difference? What what are China deploying them for? Well, I, I mean, I mean, there's plenty. No, I mean, NBO, NBIOT is a is a sort of lower bit rate, lower performance. One of the cellular standards, the other one being LTM. So it's fine for a lot of applications, environmental monitoring, smart metering, and so on. But at the moment you start to involve any sort of video, even in poor quality, it's not not good enough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a very tiny packets of data in, in MBIT, but it, it, you know, if um, if you want to just say, "Excuse me, the building's on fire," it's uh, you know, it, it, it can. Okay. Yeah, I can have a. We're talking about speeds at the state of the art thirty years ago. Yeah. Before, say um, but um, you were you were referring to the the proposal for a future standard called RedCap, and that's essentially trying to sort of unify the two cellular IoT standards and also um, provide further capabilities. So, if if RedCap's essentially just going to go above the low power. I mean that's what NBIOT and and um, LTM really are now. Um, so if they're going to go above the low power and kind of move to higher, um, higher data rates and whatnot, is is that just? Wouldn't that clash with? Because obviously a lot of these, a lot of um, IoT use cases are also serviced quite adequately by Wi-Fi so far, aren't they? In the smart home especially. Um, Oh, I mean, in in a smart home, yes, but but not over, but not not. Yeah, yeah. Not for the... No, not, I mean Wi-Fi is not really the. Um, I mean, if 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 anything, it's three um, G connections that people use instead. Um, it's it's got to be very low power. I mean, if you're talking about um, any kind of air meter, water meter, gas meter, smoke detector, anything like that, you've got you you need to have a lifetime battery installed. So these things need to go to sleep, wake up, communicate, go back to sleep, uh, and use no power in between. Um, well, RedCap would support that, but it would also enable something. I mean, Luke was asking. I mean, the, even the higher speeds that RedCap is talking about would still be sort of below, it would sort of slot in below 5G. That's the idea up to about up to Yeah, because if we if I suppose if we look at the the Chinese numbers here, I mean, most of these. Um, most of these aren't smart metering, so aren't the classical um, low power applications, are they? Some are, but, 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 but most of them are serviced by NBIOT. Um, but you're right. I mean, they also include cars under the numbers, so it's, sort of, I mean, it's a broad church, really. Yeah, and these aren't going to be home applications for, in China, are they? What, what do you think most of them are? Well, I mean, a lot of them are sort of in 
monitoring, metering, and uh, but an increasing number in industrial. Um, I remember a few years ago, I was at a tech expo in Germany, and there was a company there that were um, talking about the sensors they were using for fleet management. Mm. Um, and they had sensors in the fuel tanks for their trucks because they had thousands of trucks parked at night on the site. Mm. Uh, they had a couple of security guards, and the problems they were having was the locals coming in and stealing all the diesel from the trucks. <laughs> uh, and so they had sensors set up to detect when uh, the pressure changes or the cap was open, etc., in the petrol tanks or diesel tanks. Mm. And then the guards would get a notification almost straight away to let them know which area to go to. Mm. Yeah, and, and, and that that, tick, that sensor can tell a nearby camera to turn itself on and film what's going on for for evidence. Mm-hmm. And then you need a bit more, uh, like a higher picture. Yeah, then with RedCap, yeah, you can stream the video over as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, most video security video is um, is five frames a second anyway. Yeah, it's not, it's not, not real video. That's that's what Wi-Fi carries. I mean, that's the the thing you talk about Wi-Fi. That is the application where, where Wi-Fi being used for security applications is, is always a bit of a pain. But that's usually where it's plugged in, uh, and then they do it by dropping it to five um, frames a, a second, and and it's just very staccato, and you can get a an image of somebody, but um, but not really a video. Just for insurance purposes. <laughs> Well, it's for it's um, for conviction purposes, you know, in the in the real world crime way, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. Any others, um, John? That, uh, that um, well, I was noticing the the latest instalment of Jack Ma's life. Um, okay. And what's happening in Alibaba? Uh, I mean, there is still much speculation as if that that is actually still Jack Ma, um, or if he was replaced. Um, but uh, I saw the news that uh, Alibaba have again been struck another blow uh, by the Chinese government, uh, having broken down the company somewhat. Yeah. I mean, um, do we see the government imposing more and more uh, restrictions and also enforcing them to take on silent partners who have history uh, with fraudulent activities as well? I mean... Uh... That, that's just, I mean, there's, there's no one else was really as outspoken as, as Jack Ma was back in the day. I feel like this is uh, very much, in a, just they just made an example of him and, and they just keep keep the keep the blows coming. It's a curious choice he should go back to China because he came back to China, um, I think the same day as, as this announcement was made. I think he was seen at, at um, one of the headquarters, um, if I'm not wrong. Um, but yeah, I'm, mm. I'm especially worried here for the... The um, the cloud business, I could see it as because obviously all the, the the three Chinese operators are all trying to invest in in cloud and edge computes um, infrastructure. That's where most of their capex is is shifting um, percentage wise. Yeah. Um, so really, I mean, obviously one of the divisions that Alibaba has been split into um, is the cloud business. So I'm 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 thinking this might be a play for because um, they they dominate. I think they dominate um, cloud. Infrastructure, I think thirty six percent. I think, um, yeah, in in China, yeah, in China. So I think they're coming for the state owned companies are coming for um, that slice to, to 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 just kind of dominate. But then obviously they still have Tencent and and Baidu um, that are also. So we might see action against those as well. But I, f- I feel like 
they will fall in line after they've seen what happened to Alibaba. So the effect on the operators there in China is that they are going to do their own cloud services or, or what? Um, I think a lot of it is, is as part of um, just edge computes um, for now infrastructure and moving um, into that space. Because I, I mean, that's where most, that that's just where the, the CapEx, um, CapEx is moving um, these quarters away from networks yeah, and fiber. Yeah. You have to worry about a, a country like China. We obviously we realise that it's an amazing operation because it's centrally managed economy, and and that's why get, things get done in China. But there are sacrifices to be made, and sometimes you wonder if something is government action or if it's actually competitors getting the government to do their work for them. And uh, you know it, it, it's it's fairly opaque to see through. Um, the uh, kind of veils of justice in in China. It's very difficult for us to know. Um, it's, this is not a political podcast, so we won't go too deeply into this. This is a technical podcast. But um, you are right to to worry if if um, perhaps the blessed uh, telecom operators are asking to get rid of the threat of uh, of Alibaba as a cloud provider, and and that is a, a, a serious question. Yeah. To which we don't know the answer. To which we don't. We, we, we won't okay. speculate because we're not we're not experts in uh, uh, in Chinese language or you know, politics. But um, yeah, okay. Um, this is the this has been the uh, uh, podcast talking about the latest issue of Wireless Watch. We're going to call it to an end now. Um, the uh, Wireless Watch you can find at rethinkresearch.biz. You click on Wireless. Um, you'll be reading uh, the introduction to the stories. If you want to sample the stories um, and, and potentially buy a subscription, um, click on anyone and you'll be uh, taken to a form and you can sign up. Um, and this, uh, But for now, that's us signing off. Um, we won't see you next week, but we will see you. Um, we'll be back the week after that. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs>